for this intro. <laughs> You're really building this up. <laughs> get ready, get Don't ready. Be good. Ready? Here comes the intro. <clears throat> See if I can... <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the intro. Get ready. Get ready, get ready. <clears throat> P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Tell me what it means to me. It means it's episode 47 of the Unraveling Technology podcast. We like that? Adam has put his head in his hands. I feel like, I feel like doing the same. Uh, welcome all. We're here again. Although I'm slightly moved around, I'm on opposite sides of the table than I usually am, which is very exciting. It's good because I can see everyone coming in the building now. Yeah, you are now in the position that I usually sit in, mm-hmm. where I can see everybody moving about outside the office, peering in to see what we're doing, yeah. looking in the through the windows. Distraction. I'll make sure that I look like we're having a really good time anytime someone walks in. I'll give you all a cue. Okay. So we've got David here, as usual, myself, Joe, and our guest today, Nathan Rona, here for the second time, is it? Uh, might be more than that. Okay. Last time, did we have be. the microphones? Yes. I think gonna... it's like third or fourth. Okay, right. It's good all... to be back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to have you back as our resident um, Apple. Well, you, you're not really the resident Apple expert, are you? We've got There's quite a few not to us. put you down. You probably know more about Apple mm. than I do. Um, well, it's good to. There are to... there are a few of us, but I like to boast about the fact that I have family members who work for Apple, so I have got a. Oh, and now now it's on bigger... the podcast as well. There you go, <laughs> a whole new group of people who know. Got a stronger hold to the Apple brand. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm just taking my shoes off. I've got, I bought these shoes. I texted David a picture of my new shoes. I was so proud when I got them. This is my first set of brogues, branching out into brogue territory. Really? Yeah. Are you first? Uh, yeah. You're late onto the bandwagon. At yeah, BHL I know. Towers. Well, at first, I was just not getting brogues. It was kind of a little bit of a, you know, standing against the man kind of thing because mm. there was a slow shift towards brogues. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't going to be broken that easily. And now here I am wearing brogues. Problem is, after a couple of weeks of having them, I find that they, when I walk in, they tend to squeak. I don't know if that, mm. that's standard shoe behavior. Mm. Maybe it's a brogue thing. I don't think. No, I don't think so. Did you buy clown shoes by mistake? <laughs> it could be. They do tend to. <laughs> so sort of, maybe the squeak is intentional. Yeah. They come out to a, re- a serious point, though. You know, the, the shoe is quite a lot longer than my foot, more so, which makes it hard to, you know, when you're driving, the first time you're driving in new shoes, and it's always a bit. Uh, mm. uh, well, like the, the end of my shoe sort of scrapes against the bottom of the footwell. So I have right. to kind of, I'm, a, I'm learning to adjust the way that I drive now because of these new shoes. That's very traumatic. David, you, you said something about a dream before we started recording. Well, I was, I was suggesting an intro to do with my dream, but okay, I, I think you totally aced that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mess it up. I spelled podcast correctly. That's good. Um, I had a dream last night where I was being sued by George Lucas. Really? For yeah. What? I I don't remember. Like all I remember about it was sort of sitting down in a hallway, me mm. and George Lucas, who was annoyed, and a couple of other people who were somehow involved in the case. Yeah. Uh, and George Lucas had this sort of museum, this personal museum in his house mm-hmm. that had all these interesting things in, and okay. uh, the other guys were going to get shown around this museum, and I was not because he was angry at me. But I reckoned I was in the right. And I would win this case and then he'd be, you know, he'd be repentant and he'd show me around his museum afterwards. Mm-hmm. And didn't come to pass? No. Start of interest, what was your what was your proposed intro to this? How would you, how are you going to word it? 
Oh, I think I was just going to talk about my dream. <laughs> well, there you go. You've still got a chance to talk about it. It's taken second billing to P-O-D-C-A-S-T. I don't know what it means to me. <laughs> Spelt it twice. Check me out. Right, okay. Well, we've got some, um, as usual, some some relevant tech stories to talk about today. So shall we kick it off? Yeah. So the first one I've got, and I actually, when I sent this round, I didn't realize that as far as internet censorship goes this isn't the worst thing to happen this week this is one of kind of a slew of things that's gone on Mm. so in the past week we've had uh the government moving to block adult websites or proposing to block adult websites i think we remember it was roughly a year or two ago there was this proposed opt-in to adult websites where when you sign up with an isp they'll say to you oh you know, do do you want to be able to get to adult websites or do you want us to assign a filter? Or I think the other way the story was told was you'd automatically be opted out and you had to call them mm, or yeah. somehow express your interest if you wanted to opt in instead. So yeah, here we are. A ways, year, isn't it? Yeah. And here we are a year or so later, maybe two years. And the new proposition is forget the opt-in out thing. We don't want to make things difficult for you. We're just going to block those sites instead. Scary, isn't that? It's a yeah. It's a little bit more detailed than that. It it mm. is, yeah. That's uh, that's it in broad strokes. Yeah. But I think the precedent it sets is will not turn out to be that won't p- turn out to be a particularly sensationalist uh, uh, viewing of it. I don't yeah. think. I don't think they're proposing to like completely block though. I think they're putting more restrictions on. Mm. adult content saying they have to meet certain age verification yeah stuff so i don't i guess they can't block them completely because some people will want to so broadly my understanding of reading this story is that the uh government's going to give power to the bbfc the british board of film Mm -hmm. classification Mm -hmm. to start um i don't know i don't think they're exactly classifying adult sites beyond them sort of saying this is an adult site um but i think that is something that will have to be defined yeah so they're basically they're going to go to adult sites they're going to contact the site owner uh and basically make them put in some kind of age verification Mm -hmm. uh, which they describe as a strong age verification yeah so i don't know about yourself but whenever i go on steam the gaming oh, yeah. platform yeah. they'll quite often say now before we show you this video game would you know how could you could you please provide your date of birth and yeah. i think i saw a statistic recently that according to gabe newell who's like the ceo of steam uh or of valve rather uh is that about 95 percent of people's birthdays the first of january because all most people seem to do is click the year scroll up an indeterminate amount of time click whatever year they choose that's over 18 years old bam there you are yeah so, so you, they're going to force people, force these companies to put um, age verification of some kind on these sites, and if they don't, then they're going to block access to them. Right, I think is the idea. Mm-hmm. I guess there's still be the option to block access, like parental controls, and just block them completely as well. Oh yes, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. There's ways to block them harder. Yeah, but, uh... I think. I mean, in the article that we've pulled up about this, it's talking about concerns about what are the actual age verification if they're saying it's going to be strong age verification what does that actually mean because obviously 
like you said with Steam, you just put in your, you know, you could put in any old date. Um, and this, supposedly they they could ask for more, even more information or identity stuff, mm. which could be risky. You could yeah. see like identity hacks and all sorts. Tying it to an address, tying it to a yeah. credit card. So one of the examples that they cite is the was the whole Ashley Madison fiasco mm. not long ago, which was a basically a website uh, for people to cheat on their spouses, and all of those details got released online. I found an article on the Guardian that was called uh, "Life After the Ashley Madison Madison Affairs," and it talks about um, a couple of instances where you have all these people who um, these sort of moral crusaders who were going out to shame the people whose information was released in these hacks. Mm. And there was a, there was a newspaper in Alabama, Alabama, however you want to pronounce it, that uh, published in the paper a list of all of the names of the people from Alabama who'd been listed right. in the hacks. <laughs> so this is yeah, I mean are we going to have are we going to have a similar shaming situation here when people's uh, website details are leaked? I mean I don't know you know, how stringent the security detail is on your average adult website. But, I mean, you get emails every other week about websites being compromised. Hmm. I would imagine a lot of these will be too. Definitely my sort of view of the average porn site on on the internet is that it's quite shady. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure that, like, is it going to... So the the I think the government's main reason for doing this is to protect children. That's their mm. cited reason. That's the yeah. line. Um, but is it going to start putting adults in danger if you start having all these adults handing over personal details to these shady companies? Yeah, sure. Mm. And there's the whole thing about why why is why why are the government you know d- defending our children? Why is it not up to the parents to to defend against this stuff? Mm. And the other thing we've had this week as well, or I think it was last Wednesday, was the Snoopish Charter being pushed through, which I think is a thing that I've heard about for a long time and has been been opposed for a long time. Okay. Although when it went through last week, I'd heard barely anything about it at all. Yeah. And this is the law that will force internet providers to record uh, every every internet user's web history for about a year. And uh, it will allow them to, you know, force companies to decrypt data, or and it even gets them to companies to disclose any new sort of security features they plan to implement in their products as well. Mm. So that you know, there's there's never any doubt that the government can get access to it if needed. Which is, uh, yeah, it's not great. No, it's again, this one's well, this one is about terrorism. They're saying. That um, one's terrorism, is it? Yeah. Uh, okay. A way to combat terrorism by being able to look at people's search history or suspected terrorist search history to confirm that, I guess. But basically, but, I mean, it's touching on the whole surveillance debate, isn't it? About how yeah. much should the government be really prying into our private lives? and But then how much should they be doing to protect us from terrorism, things like that? Yeah. I think that the main issue that people are citing with this is again with now there's this massive database stored somewhere like every internet service provider has this massive database of everybody's potentially very personal internet search history for the past year or so 
how do they stop that getting hacked? If that gets hacked and gets leaked out, mm. yeah, like there's there's a whole number of things that people could be searching for, like medical information, sure, um, sure. people's you know pornography habits, mm-hmm. any kind of thing that would just be you know if that got out there then it could really ruin some people's lives oh yeah and i think a lot of people would do it just because they could and also because people are always looking for sort of validation for you know a job well done so if there was the incentive you know oh get out there and tell us if so and so is doing x or y then mm-hmm. like, you know let us know and people will do it yeah. to to borrow a phrase and alter it slightly um the uh the browser th- the browser history doth not maketh the man as they say <laughs> so i mean imagine you're writing a novel and you want to figure out what a bullet exit wound looks like you could google all this stuff or how long does it take a body to decompose something like that there's lots of things that you could be searching perfectly innocu- innocuously that on the face of it doesn't look like it's that great Mm. So I think you have to take everything on a case-by-case basis. The other thing that I read that I quite like the sound of is if if internet in, in history is so important, if getting a measure of people through their internet browsing habits is so important, why can't that be said for any other form of media? Mm. Why doesn't the book collection that you own say something about you? Yeah. So one of like one of my favorite books is American Psycho. What does that say about me? Does it say anything? Because I liked if if I liked watching, I don't know, The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> Just go back to our <laughs> Matrix theme or Matrix Revolutions. Um, yeah, you could probably deduce something from that if I said I like those films. But <laughs> does that mean that I want to see humanity wiped out by robots? It, it's just it's very. I, I think it's a case of because they can. It's a lot harder to track people's. Sure, I'm sure if all of our books were digital, if everything was on Kindle, I'm sure that, that would probably be tracked to a certain extent as well. Hmm. And I think the problem with all of this is that it's all also very open that they're doing this. Hmm. So if you really truly wanted to hide something, um, if there's an underground terrorist organization that's trying to you know, communicate information to its members, it's not going to do that out on the open web where it's the government's clearly advertising that it's recording all of this stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah. all it does is drive these, these kind of things further underground while simultaneously putting normal users at risk. But then are you saying that they should just not tell us that they're watching us? No, I'm not saying <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I'll give them that. At least they're being open about it. You can go on the government website and find details about the Snoopish charter. Hmm. Well, I don't think they refer to it as the Snoopish Charter. Well, no. maybe they do, but um, yeah, and at least they're. But but I mean, the fact that they're being transparent about it, but still, there doesn't appear to be any, any immense backlash, is something. But then again, what what can you do? What are the channels? I think people have become very disenfranchised, especially over the past year or so, with having their voice heard, uh, um, and what the best channels are to do that. Yeah. Mm. So maybe maybe it's a certain amount of throwing your arms in the air and saying, oh, why bother? Yeah, and, and something like this, which is, as you say, is, has been raised before and has been pushed back. It just feels like it just keeps coming back. They will just keep tweaking it and keep bringing it back and keep bringing it back until they manage to push it through. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and they just have to find a time when nobody's really paying attention or the media outlets are busy with something else and then push it through then. I've seen that a few times. Like uh, with the election coming up, there were a lot of websites or threads saying the election results are going to be tomorrow. Keep your keep your eye out because there'll probably be other news. They'll, they'll mm. try and sneak under their radar. Yeah, yeah. I don't think in that particular instance there was, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got you've got the you know think of the children. Um, that we're gonna track down the terrorists. I, it's laying the groundwork, isn't it, to be able to then go later on down the line and say, well, you can you can you can link terrorism to piracy. So we're gonna ban these piracy websites also, or we, you can link uh, terrorism to these. Uh, extreme political views so we're going to ban these alternative political news sources as well so it's a very slippery slope yeah mm. yeah one of the other points that they uh mention in the article that we forwarded around and read um is that they don't really the government is when it's talking about this is often saying pornography mm. but the charter itself talks about adult websites and so yeah. what actually constitutes an adult website? Sure. If um, I go to callofduty.com, technically yeah. that's age-restricted and... Not very wow. securely, though, because you can just select <laughs> select a year. I will say, though, I mean, that is age verification of a sort. And if you go to video game websites, invariably they do have age verification on there. Mm. I wonder if that's something that's enforced when you are uh, rated by the BBFC. That yeah, does maybe. kind of make me feel better about it, that it's the BBFC that's looking at this stuff. Yeah. Because so, they do historically have a very good track record with this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think they... Yeah, they're basically deciding if a site counts as adult and then uh, going to the ISPs. when If the site doesn't implement effective age rating, uh, they'll go to the ISPs and say, here's another one to block, guys. Yeah. The other side of this... Um, that comes to mind is the number of sites that spring up every day. How is one organization going to keep on top of? And and you've got to imagine that there's going to be some fair amount of admin work and change yeah. processes and all of that kind of stuff yeah. involved in blocking an individual site. And just to bring yet another thing to the table, um, let's say Google Image Search turn safe search off and search for something you can mm. see all kinds of images yeah. is that going to be blocked mm. true yeah. yeah i mean there there could be thousands and thousands of websites that could have adult classified content in it this could be just another be thing that hasn't fine. been properly thought through yeah I bet there's <laughs> yeah. no kind of plan here yeah i mean i think honestly if you've got like even even the intended the intended purpose of blocking children from accessing pornographic sites mm -hmm. if you've got a kid that is smart enough or has the friends that are smart enough um and technically savvy enough i can almost guarantee they'll be able to get around this very easily very straightforwardly do you think there's that can't there be that kind of understanding there though from the government like we we know you're going to circumvent this block but and we're happy for you to do that just on the understanding that we are tracking this stuff we are blocking it you know kind of like a give and take thing like <laughs> yeah. you know you're gonna hate this but you can get around it if you know how to get around it but we're gonna keep doing this because we want to 
whatever our end game is, we want to get there. Well, I, th- I think on this particular instance with blocking adult sites, the government should be working to help families mm-hmm. who set some values and rules for their children, and it should be seen as a tool rather than a mm. something to get over or get around or figure out. It should be right as parents we we want our kid to not be able to access these things how can i do that and the government comes alongside and says well we can offer you these kind of blocking and parental honor i mean there's already so much out there why bring the government into it there's all all these tools if you're that concerned about your your child being corrupted by all these websites something something that i would see as being in the government's remit would be them stepping in and saying right isps you must legally provide a way that your customers can block at some level adult content Mm. and you you must legally do that if you have any customers that are going to have children or going to be under like so there's there's an argument for say some mobile customer providers doing mobile internet um, mm-hmm. that when they sign up customers they have to be over eighteen so this doesn't apply to them mm, um, yeah. unless you can demonstrate something like that then legally you must provide these kind of tools and they must work to this kind of standard mm. that I could see and kind of is what happened with the uh, opt in. Um, rules that were happening but this does feel a bit overreaching yeah i guess the question is is it that parental controls that are currently available is it that they're not enough mm. or is it that the government's just wanting more like they're just wanting to put more control over it oh yeah the cynical part of me thinks is definitely you know the the, the children the, saving the children isn't in their <laughs> in their interests really but in the face of this uh adversity if you like uh and i say adversity because at the end of the day this doesn't come down to porn this comes down to general censorship uh you've got the option you know there's always people there with the tools who will be able to combat this stuff so vpns for Mm. example vpns always come Mm. up oh just use a vpn and for anyone who's not in the know a vpn allows you to sort of mask all of your traffic so it seems to come from somewhere else and also hides the content of it as well. So instead of it looking like I'm browsing a website from my computer at home, it comes out of some endpoint a a thousand miles away and in an ideal world, that won't be traceable back to you. What do you think about the idea of the government coming in and say as, as they have proposed before a banning of vpn or encryption which i know a lot of people have said on a business level just completely wouldn't work yeah, because it's ridiculous for of, business yeah, yeah yeah but how's about you need a license to use a vpn you, like you have to justify that you are a business and you're using it for business purposes yeah or oh that's encrypted traffic mate have you got a license for that and then you have to produce a card or something or proof um, I think it's still ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There's there's plenty of reasons why you want to encrypt your traffic. Even just every every shop that you go to online should be, if you're paying attention, and it should be encrypted. And you should not use an internet shop online if it's not encrypted mm-hmm. because you're transferring things like card details over it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of legitimate reasons why people would want to use a VPN uh, and just outright banning it just seems like a a really terrible idea but doesn't that seem like the sort of thing the government would do 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You know, it's, it's not the end of 2016 yet. Mm. See where it goes. Anyway, on to not happier news, but different news. So the second <laughs> story we've got is about uh, there's a lot of articles that came out recently uh, about Facebook and to what extent Facebook news and information is is true. So not long ago, maybe within the last year, Facebook started their news feed, which is where they'll link to the most shared articles from news sources, regardless of how uh, legitimate they might seem. And I think a lot of this came out after the the election, the American election, because there was a lot of misinformation on both sides. So a lot of people are coming now saying, well, with all of this, all of this, the, these lies floating around, should we, we be doing something more? And uh, this, so the, one of the, the biggest articles was one on Ars Technica saying it's time to get rid of the Facebook news feed because it's not news. Hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, did you see where that, what, what, what that whole article was sprung from or what it came from? No, no I didn't. It came from a BuzzFeed article. No. So based on a BuzzFeed article, they're saying it's time to get rid of Facebook because these news sources aren't legitimate, citing BuzzFeed as their source. Not to have a go at BuzzFeed, because I know that they did something with the BBC at some point, didn't they? It was exposing something or other. I can't... What's that, sorry? Tennis. Uh, match fixing in tennis. Match fixing in tennis. But still, I don't know. It doesn't quite ring true when I think news and BuzzFeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, sorry, uh, BuzzFeed. Yeah. Uh, so here, here we are. Um, do, do you two, I mean, David, I know that you're not one for Facebook much of the time anyway. No. Can you imagine a world where people are getting most of their news from BuzzFeed? No, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Um, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't read a lot of news anyway. Mm -hmm. So the kind of things that do catch my eye tend to be headlines that are just, you know, pop up on Twitter or Facebook when I'm scrolling through my yeah. feed. So I can imagine there are a lot of people who aren't actively going and checking, say, the BBC News website or the Sky News website or watching the news on their TV or anything like that um, and are just catching these kind of things yeah. and then just yeah. taking them at face value, just often probably not even bothering to click through to them and just reading the headline. Or if they do click through, then potentially reading some news article that's fake, then... On the side of that, there's also all the people who sort of share news articles around mm. Facebook. Yeah, I guess it's it's the thing of how do you know that you're what you're reading is from a trusted source? Mm -hmm. And what this what this BuzzFeed uh, report says is that during the U.S. election, um, they did some analysis that shows how fake election news stories outperformed real news on Facebook. So it. <laughs> yeah. Part of me is like, well, should people be able to tell what's genuine and what's not? Or is it just that they're written like they sound like genuine news? I think there's two sides to this, aren't, isn't there? Because there's, on one hand, there's news articles that are propagated by Facebook mm. in the kind of somebody pastes a link to a website and then yeah. shares it with their friends and those people share it with other people. And then, you know, it goes out to hundreds of thousands of people like that and it could be any website and then the other side is the actual trending news on facebook which facebook used to curate have curators to put those news articles up 
um, they had a team of humans that did that. Right, um, yes. And believe i'm right in saying they made one or two mistakes and put up a few fake stories generally weren't too bad though aside from a few kind of widely publicized this is not news they facebook have since and i can't remember how long ago this happened um fired that team and replaced them with an algorithm which seems to regularly pick fake news articles to put in its trending news yeah i had an instance not long ago where there was like game of thrones was in the trending stuff so and and if i'm wrong here nath tell me but <laughs> it it said yeah i highlighted it and it said um oh well the 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 script for the the last two series of game of thrones has been leaked online i've seen one of these yeah yeah so i was like oh was it? Yeah, and it referenced a Reddit post said like a Reddit user has shared something that looks like it's the last two series of Game of Thrones. The line, so, the line is always this comes from a, reli- a usually reliable yeah, source. Yeah, and it was it was one website that was that was talking about this, and it'd been shared so many times. I thought, okay, right, well, I'll I'll, I'll go have a look at that. Uh, so I went on a went on Reddit, just searched for it. I couldn't find it anywhere. No evidence anywhere of this being the that case that shows that shows the assumption then that because it's been shared so many times it just kind it, of yeah perpetuates it becomes yeah. its own thing there was uh I th- what was it was it the oed word of the year that word of the year might be brexit i'm not sure it's post-truth yes that's it um mm. post-truth word of the year so there we're at the point now where you, you don't have to have facts to to make your point the Wall Street Journal has this sub website called Blue Feed Red Feed. Have you seen that? No. Where it'll show if you you go on it, you choose a topic, so about healthcare or, or whatever gun control, and it will show you on one side a bunch of liberal Facebook articles about it, and on the other side a bunch of conservative ones about it. And it's absolutely the algorithm is spot on. It doesn't get a single one wrong. This just the idea that people will get caught in this bubble and they will click things that validate their opinion or what they believe to be the truth, mm. which is kind of human nature, I suppose. You want to be validated, but then also there's the whole thing. If you if you have a friend that someone that you look up to and admire who shares an article, then you're more likely to read that article, take it as base fact, and yeah. push it on because I don't know because you want to be seen. Because because you like this person, you respect their opinion. Mm. Yeah. Did you see there was a link off uh, one of the links you sent around to mm. another BuzzFeed article? Oh, no BuzzFeed. Yeah. Uh, links upon links. Um, talking about how there were hundreds of sites um, dedicated to producing news stories around Donald Trump in the lead up to the election that were all based around, uh, all based in Macedonia. Yes, I saw that. All oh, right, really. Uh, basically, there's this group of, I think, usually sort of 16, 17, 18 year old kids who are basically spending their time uh, building these fake websites, fake news looking websites, um, coming up with sort of big, controversial or attention grabbing headlines about, usually about Donald, Donald Trump, because he seemed to be the one that was most most shared and clicked upon. And then setting up Google AdSense accounts and sharing the links on Facebook. And people 
people share these stories with all their friends. Thousands of people click through to read the article and they yeah. rake in like potentially $3,000 a day on a, on a given story yeah. through it's ad a, revenue. Essentially what we're talking about is clickbait, yeah. isn't it? You write something that sounds intriguing just to get people to click on your website and earn money from your ads. That's that's, I mean, thing. I guess that's one of the problems with all these fake articles is because they're Behind them are people who want want to generate money from your clicking around and looking at it. Yeah. Not really interested in whether you believe it to be true or not. This said, if there was an option, if there was a mandate to have sort of like a, a verified news source or to exclude these websites from being shared on Facebook, say, is that something you'd endorse or are we talking about censorship then? I think the question becomes how do you... How do you decide what's a verified news source? Absolutely. I mean, you can talk about high-level things. Like, I would generally trust pretty much anything I read on, say, BBC News. Mm. Um, but BBC News doesn't break all of the stories in the world. There's plenty of stuff that will be researched by, you know, news articles I might never have heard of. Um, like, is if somebody publishes a story that then later turns out to be either incorrect or have some factual inaccuracies or something like that mm. does that mean they are now tarred with the no longer reputable brush or you know it's it's a difficult yeah. one to kind of yeah. manage and what about satire sites so the onion or news thump mm. what about them as well i mean that's obviously not true but you hear all the time about people sharing Onion articles and saying, I can't believe that this has happened. When it hasn't, it's, it's satire. Hmm. Yeah, but even I, there, that's that's not true. That's that's not real news. And also, there is an inferred bias in all of these things. Yeah. The, the problem is is that um, if we read this, this article, one of the articles we have on this, is there are legal issues that Facebook and other social media places face when do they choose what to publish or what not to publish? So there's this, some sort of legislation called the CDA 230, which basically it protects Facebook from being um, sued if something kind of dodgy or unlawful is posted. Mm. But it also means it doesn't get to pick what is posted to be able to have that protection. So if it then said, well, we're not going to publish all these fake articles and we'll only make sure that these are put in these... Um, verified sources are put in the newsfeed they then might be seen by the court as a publisher at which point um, Facebook aren't protected then from people who share or say dodgy things so it's a bit of a tricky yeah, situation other, to be in the other side of this I guess as well is when you're talking about the top news list on Facebook what that's supposed to be is a list of things that are being talked about most by Facebook's users. So if Facebook's users are talking about something that's not real, mm-hmm. then kind of technically it should be on that list, even if it isn't real. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't know if it market it, markets it as news or, or what. I'll have to have a look. There was also an article on The Verge uh, that was about a sponsored study at Stanford University and just taking this from the from the article, it says, according to the study, 82% of students could not distinguish between a sponsored post and an actual news article on the same website. Nearly 70% of middle schoolers thought they had no reason to distrust a sponsored finance article written by the CEO of a, of a bank. And many students evaluate the trustworthiness of tweets based on their level of detail and the size of attached photos. 
<laughs> the size of attached photos. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what they mean by that. Whether like the the resolution or maybe it's something to do with the quality of photos. They've got lots of big, high resolution photos in, so this must be real. Yeah, but but that's a whole thing unto itself. Sponsored content, so mm. not adverts specifically. Sponsored content, so it's a lot more nebulous. Mm. So you could read an article about a JCB digger digging the biggest hole in the world. And is that news or is it sponsored content? You might not necessarily look to know to look at it unless there might be something right down at the bottom. Oh, but sponsored by JCB. Sponsored by JCB. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know. So I, I get this uh, games magazine every month called Edge Magazine. And I've seen a couple of t- instances in there where someone will have bought out a two-page spread in there. It will be a uh, sponsored page on like the new halo game but it will be done up in the format of the of the the magazine's review pages mm. the, the idea being to trick you into thinking this is a review as opposed to sponsored content um which just uh, makes it even more complicated i remember we talked a while ago about that hashtag spawn which apparently you're meant to put up if something is sponsored content yeah and uh, to their credit ea it's an electronic arts the video game company have recently they they now have two hashtags and watermarks to help people determine if something of theirs is some something that someone puts up is sponsored content or not so they've got support hashtag supported by ea which is for if someone was helped financially or flown to an event mm-hmm. then then they have to put that but but if they've independently created the content then it's sponsored by ea so ea sends you super special edition of skyrim you put sponsored by EA and then you can just sit there and gush about it and say, oh, this is brilliant all you want. But there's been no direct interference from EA there. And then the alternative is just hashtag advertisement. And that's, you know, a trailer for Battlefield, say. Right. That's very clearly an advert that has been molded by EA. So it's nice to see someone sort of taking, taking the lead on that stuff. Yeah. Nice and surprising, actually. Yeah. (laughs) But I think this is in, as part of some, sort of new advertising mandate in, in the US. Uh, yeah, so sponsored content there. Uh, okay, uh, sh- shall we move on? So the one yeah. that I know that you were quite interested in, Nath, yeah. uh, this was uh, an article on 9to5Mac talking about uh, Apple Pay branding on vending machines. Yes. So it's, it's quite specific, this, but I thought this could lead us into a bit of a discussion about contactless payment These in uh in the here and the now. So this is taken from the article itself. It says, the results of a new six-month study by a company offering Apple Pay on vending machines show that branding specific to Apple Pay helped increase mobile transactions and overall sales. The study offers evidence that Apple Pay messaging on the machines resulted in an increase of mobile transactions by as much as 135%, while transactions in general were up 44.6%. And overall sales up 36.5%. I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? It's quite a lot, yeah. But, and here's what I'll say. I think people would much rather save face about rubbing their phone all over something, assume it's contactless. (laughs) They'd rather just not do it if they don't think it's going to work. Yeah. Now, this might be a stupid question, but to your knowledge, contactless and Apple Pay... Are they the same thing? If something will work with contactless, will it work with Apple Pay? Yes. Okay. Essentially, this is all about clever branding. 
Great. Because it's kind of sneaky from Apple Pay, Apple having gone out and just banged on about Apple Pay when essentially it is contactless payment. Okay. Um, because I can go to anywhere where they've got contactless payment and they don't advertise Apple Pay and it works fine. Okay. Um, That's so, good to know. Yeah. So I'm going to hold you to account if next time I go somewhere that doesn't explicitly say Apple Pay. That's my experience and that's what I understood. Correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone knows. But as far as I was aware, anywhere that offered contactless payments, I could use Apple Pay. Okay. And is this the same with Android Pay? See, I don't know. Um, mm. I'm inclined to think that if, if Nathan's saying he can use his Apple Pay anywhere, then the Google Wallet stuff, which is also yeah. essentially the same thing, um, should also work. I have I've only just recently started seeing um, Android-style branding and Google Wallet-style branding on payment. Yeah, I feel yeah. it only came out sort of September-ish. Yeah, and well, I think the actual... that's, where, that's where Apple have just got ahead is that they've just pushed out their branding. This, this is the thing because, like, and I know I'm the Android user here, like many things. <laughs> here we go. The, uh, <laughs> <Sit> back, <Nate. laughs> the contactless payment from your phone. Um, I had that in, I want to say my Nexus 4, sort yes. of two yeah. plus two, three years NFC. ago. Yeah, um, but nobody ever used it. I have never used it. Um, it's only once Apple have kind of come in with their version and their branding for their version that it's really sort of taken off. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing or hearing anything about you can use it at any contactless payment. Yeah, at place. I mean, so this this does come down to branding. If anyone knows, do get in touch with us and tell us that we're wrong and that actually it's a different thing. But yeah, from from what I I know, it's a, it's a sneaky branding thing from Apple and. Now we've got the situation where many people don't believe they can use Apple Pay when contactless payment is available mm. because it doesn't have the Apple Pay branding. Yeah, yeah, and I'm guilty of that, and I consider myself to be quite up on this kind of thing. <laughs> the the well, other the other possible explanation, or the part explanation, mm. is that people are more likely to carry their phones around with them than, like, you will always have your phone with you, but you might not have your wallet with you. Mm. So if you come across a vending machine that says, you can pay with your contactless bank card, then you might not have that. But if you have your phone and it specifically says, hey, you can use your phone here, then people might go, oh, okay. Mm. Yep. I've got that. I mean, I think it's slightly blurred the lines, not just for customers, but for um, like restaurants and cafes and stuff, because they will say to me, I don't have Apple Pay. And I'll say, well, have you got contactless? And they'll be like, yes. And they'll be like, well, I can use that. It's fine. And then I'll just present my... Is there a uh, is there a transaction limit on Apple Pay? It's it's the same as contactless. It's thirty, 30 quid. pounds. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Which is why I can't see any reason why it'd be any a different technology. Yeah, I don't know. It, but I can see, as I say, awkward social interactions where you go up, mm. especially with something like Android Pay, which is not going to be as ubiquitous as Apple Pay yet. Going up and saying. Uh, they'll say it's five pounds thirty. Okay, can I pay with Android Pay? What's Android Pay? Yeah. <laughs> Cue some fumbling around and some rubbing of some phone on some kind of device. No, it's not Doesn't working. Work. Oh wait, I've not got my near field communication turned on. <laughs> Give me a second. Let me do. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, uh, then you have to pay with money. Yeah, oh, I hate money. <laughs> I never take money anywhere with me. I was always of the whole. 
opinion that let's just let's just go card. We're, we're not even at a position where everywhere will take card yet. You know, you've still got your mm. instances where you have to pay five pounds at least if you want to use a card payment. So I'm I'm all for the NFC revolution. I'm ready for some some serious contactless payment. I'm slightly disappointed by contactless payment because I do I do remember Android. I don't think it's called Android Pay, but I don't know what it's actually called. Yeah. So good, the branding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that being announced and like learning, hey, my phone can do this, mm-hmm. but never really being, I think at the time it was only in America. Mm-hmm. And then contactless payment wasn't really a thing in the UK at that point. And I kind of didn't really do anything with it and didn't really know how it worked because it wasn't available. So why bother learning? And then there's no advertising. So by the time that I actually got round to the idea of using contactless payment, I had a contactless bank card. Yeah. So I've never really got to just take my phone places and swipe it because I always have my wallet. Do you do contactless? Uh, I do. Yeah. For, okay. for some things. Um, Fair enough. How, what do you pick and choose what you use contactless for? Well, basically anywhere that I'm kind of worried that I'm going to be near to or over the thirty pounds, I want to avoid the social <laughs> social awkwardness. Yeah. What does it do in that instance? If I go to Apple Pay and it's yeah. more than thirty pounds, what does it? I have no idea. I think it's it just tried. doesn't offer you contactless. I wonder if a lot of people will um will use Apple Pay contactless payment more just because of the seamless nature of the experience and the novelty I've been using, I use it a lot now. I love but the feel of it. It's still embarrassing, I, though, when it doesn't work. I like it when you put your phone up against it, you hold it down, you see the little circle complete, and you get a little Jerry, tick, and it goes You don't goes even have to ping. hold your phone down on and touch the device. Just hover. Yeah, uh, so yeah but how far away? Um, Near. Near enough. Near, near field. Near field. <laughs> <laughs> what does Touch near field. enough mean, though? I mean, there's I enough. I don't know. Maybe like a finger's length away. Right. how big your fingers are. I might as well just width. hold it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not width. I mean, I, yeah, I understand it's in the name contactless, but I'm not going to, I don't want to be, I don't want to give it any excuse to not work. Yeah, no. I mean. But it, I enjoy the tactileness. My I experience. Like it. I like it going ping, and then I like walking out the shop and thinking, oh, notification. Oh, it's just <laughs> telling me I've spent eight quid. <laughs> I'm still waiting for, I don't remember whose advert it was, but the big water slides where I can slide <laughs> yeah. slide from my job in the tell high rise what, office building. Contactless <laughs> pay as I go past. I did see recently a multi-story car park where you just, present your contactless or apple it was actually apple pay branded as well mm. you just present your phone instead of doing your typical put some coins in the machine and get a ticket you that's good swipe your phone and away you go i saw a kickstarter recently for an nfc enabled mug so it's like <laughs> and they were pitching it like if you've forgotten your card and your phone like in those situations you'd have your <laughs> mug <laughs> you could go into starbucks and pay with your, with, with your your mug. With your mug. <laughs> it's dead. Wow. Which is, uh, I can't tell if it's a genius idea or a terrible one. Somewhere in between. I mean, do, do Starbucks give you the option if you walk in with a mug where they'll fill it for you? Yeah. You get a discount. Do you? Yeah, you do. How much? 50p. Okay, 50p. 50p discount. That's not so bad. I've never seen it done. And Starbucks seems like the sort of place that would have people who do do that. They do 
sell you mugs they do that yeah, you do. can bring back and get refills in and they will give you the discount i yeah, think that's yeah. how that's how they try and sell it to you as well you mm. can bring it back in and it's like yeah you can you can write off the cost of you of buying this mug with just a few times yeah um just so you know i've just been reading up on the apple support website for apple pay mm-hmm. and that one of the faqs is um my point of sale terminal is already contactless payment capable. Can I accept Apple Pay right away? They basically say you'll likely able to accept oh, Apple Pay without any changes, without specifying yes, you can. Why would it's they say likely. that? Yeah, yes. now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try it. <laughs> the answer is yes, <laughs> but don't come crying to us if it doesn't work because oh. it's probably on your end. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so Apple Pay's sort of come out here recently. Um, they also had a scheme called uh, Android Payday, which is where the last Tuesday of the month, if you pay with Apple Pay, you get things like discounts on a Starbucks, which is a nice little uh, incentive for you there. Where yeah. if, you, if you're feeling brave enough to try your phone on a, on a contactless payment machine. I think I've seen that advertised. Mm. It's like a... It's a good idea. It's a nice split incentive. screen of two people buying similar but very different products, like yeah. suits and like and a, a t-shirt with a bow tie on it. Oh right, okay. Though if you are limited by thirty pounds, I don't know how you buy a suit with that. Yeah, offers users two for one on frappuccinos in Starbucks. Mm. It's not really the time of year for frappuccinos. Not really. And uh, and a five pound voucher that can be redeemed within the Deliveroo app as well. Hmm. You ever used Deliveroo? I have no, not. Is that not yet? Is that the app that is basically provides delivery services for yeah. companies that don't have their own delivery? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, don't, it is. I don't know if you can sort of you can get people to bring you stuff on a freelance basis. Like, oh, I don't want to go to X and buy it's essentially what I'd... delivery is but yeah right. i don't know about freelance they only do in sheffield they only do the city center at the minute okay they don't do any we tried to order some order something from wagamamas they wouldn't mm-hmm. come out to us mm-hmm. was that prove up in broom hill and then they're always in there 24 7 there's delivery coming in and out <laughs> yeah, maybe they do broom hill as well yeah so that'll be good oh we got black friday tomorrow as well haven't we indeed is that indeed. where you're going to start your christmas shopping Amazon sales have been going on all week. They have. They it's have. very... I mean, I've seen an amazing amount of sales. I'm trying to stick with the whole thing of if there's not something I already want, don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. I was looking up exciting, exciting stuff, looking yeah. up smoke alarms. <laughs> nice. And, and there were some on heavy discount. I was like, uh, I could go to the effort of like reading all about smoke alarms and buying them. And then and then I realized, oh, wait, it's it's the Black Friday week. I wonder if I leave this, if they're going to go back up to full price. That seems the to be same. the thing. Where I feel like I've been got there. There's yeah. a lot of them boosting the prices of things just to reduce them for, for Black Friday. So they sound like a good deal. Mm. You can get the moment. Oh, no. Um, so this this might actually be quite a good secret Santa. I'm almost loath to mention it, but it's good stuff. You can get a little a little sleeve, like a, a little pouch essentially for the Amazon Echo dots. Okay. So we've got these dots, which are like a small cylindrical kind of about they're, they're kind of the size of like an Apple TV, aren't they? Roundabouts, maybe a bit yeah a bit smaller. But you can similar. get these 
sheaths essentially so if if you feel like your echo dot is not gelling properly with the design of your with with your decor you can get these little pouches oh, they are multicolored and things uh, i only saw one and it was like 13 pounds but they're out there wow yeah 13 Something. pounds is a little beyond our uh, secret santa budget wait for black friday yeah, <laughs> mm. they've got some good stuff on there actually. Like, um, the, what is it? The Fire Tablet, Amazon Fire yeah. Tablet. And it's thirty the, quid. All the Kindles and everything are discount, supposedly. Yeah. That said, I don't think I've ever seen anyone with an Amazon Fire Tablet. I don't mm. know how good they are. Wow. Yeah. I hope this podcast goes up before uh, all the sales are done. Then, otherwise, <laughs> yeah, this was a bit yeah. pointless. There's an incentive, Adam. <laughs> uh, okay, and um, finally, a little article about a new Google feature. Uh, which will tell you how crowded places are in real time. So you might have noticed when you search for a business on Google recently, you get a nice little bar chart that tells you over the week, specific hours of the day, how busy it is likely to be. And I don't know where they get that information from. But Not I've seen just it. likely, it's real time. I wonder if that's based on location tracking in phones yes, or maybe sales. From what I read... Um, it relies on aggregated, anonymized location history data. Right. So my phone will already do things like the day, like the morning after I've been to a pub for mm. drinks, it will ask me questions like, is this place student friendly? Oh, will I? Is really? there disabled access? I heard you sweating thinking, I don't know, I wasn't checking, yeah. I didn't see. <laughs> Does this place take reservations? Do you get know. a bit of a kickback from that? Say no. <laughs> ten ten pence off your next Google Play purchase. No, I don't. Um, I think there are there is something that I can sign up to in Google that I can get kickbacks for, but I can't remember what it is for answering questions. Okay. Well, well, this new development is that they have this real time. Well, they will have this this real time option that lets you see how many people are at a place at a given time. It's it's working now. What right now? Yeah, as in the live. How busy is it right now? Live data. Now, do you know how they're doing this? I, get, I uh, imagine they're tracking Android yeah. users and seeing whether or not the Android users are in the location. See, we're back again. They're, they're watching us. Oh. They know where we are. They already know where we're, where they are. <laughs> where we are. Um, there's something that Google do called Google Beacons, which are short-range Bluetooth beacons, which I saw that was quite interesting. The idea being that you'd have them mounted around the place. So, say at a bus stop. And if you were on your mobile, if you had a mobile phone, then instead of having to go online to search information about bus timetables, it would just send that stuff via Bluetooth to your phone. So you get a notification saying, hey, it looks like you're waiting at a bus stop. Here's the here's the timetable. Uh, save you a bit of a bit of your roaming data. Okay. And you could see that being employed in buildings. You could have, say, have it in Curry's and you could have it over by the hi-fi section. And you could go over and it'd pop up saying, "Hey, this looks like you're in the hi-fi section. Would you would you like to see our our selection of speakers?" That's really interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for it to become to get to the point where it's kind of like a mini map. You know, where where they've got the the technology so down pat, you'll be able to see which direction of face people are facing, their field of view, whether they're on the same floor as you. Oh. Might might not take too long. If they figure out that everybody's got their phone in their pockets, sort of like do, do you, when you put your phone in your pocket, do you have the screen towards your knee or facing away from it? Towards, yeah, towards. Really? Yeah, because I I feel like mm. if 
if I am going to scratch something, I'd rather scratch the back of the phone. Yeah. Huh. So if I walk too close to a pointy <laughs> edge, I'm so shocked. No, I just I, I've always had it facing outwards. I don't know why. Maybe it's like a subconscious, like, well, then the radiation waves will be pointing <laughs> all the way from this. The radiation waves are going to point anywhere. Yeah, I yeah. thought they'd be out the back yeah, of the phone. Yeah, damned if you do or if you don't. Adam, what do you do? Unbelievable. Wow. Odd one out. I page. can't believe that, actually. I'm well, really surprised. Google's, Google's data is going to be all wrong on you. <laughs> yeah, well, you suckers will be, won't be laughing when Google can tell which way you're facing <laughs> because it figures out which way your screen's orientated in your pocket, whereas yeah. it thinks I'm facing the other direction. Which pocket am I using, though? You tell me that, Google. Uh, give it time. They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Google um, telling you how crowded places are in real time. Very helpful around Christmas, I'm sure. Uh, so just to finish up, I've got the uh, Kickstarter of the week. Um, I'm not going to let you guess what this one is because it's kind of obvious, but I think it's a good idea as well. It's called School of Code, and the uh, the Kickstarter finished a couple of days ago. Uh, it's got uh, it had 218 backers who pledged £20,000 to bring it to life. So here's the synopsis for School of Code. Learning a new skill can be lonely, hard, and it can be difficult to keep going when you get stuck, especially when you have no support around you. The School of Code makes learning a social experience. We combine multiplayer gaming with social learning to make learning to code fun, accessible, meaning anyone anywhere can learn the skills of the future. Got a picture of it here for you. Of course, we'll put it on the website. I mean, it's not really, there's not a lot to see here, but essentially it's two avatars uh, on half the screen and below that there's a coding sort of shell window and you can't really see it very clearly, but it gives you the option of three languages there. So you've got HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and it's based around collaboration, but also competitive coding. So you start off with just a blank canvas and it says, okay, first of all, we're going to program our avatar, our character, and we're going to do that using HTML, CSS. So you can create your, ba- your character's basic outline with HTML and then you fill in, the, fill in the blanks or the colors of the hair with CSS. And ba- the idea being that the more you learn, the more you're capable of customizing your avatar. Oh, okay. okay. That's yeah. clever. Yeah. That's very good. So you might see a guy going around with like a, you know, like sick trench coat and samurai swords on his back and think wow that guy knows his his javascript (laughs) (laughs) um but you give this talk about um you being able to say use it for for interviews so you could say to someone oh yeah you reckon that you're you reckon you're javascript proficient well here let's see what you can bang out in five minutes on school of code Hmm. But then, yeah, just being able to collaborate. So for someone to say, oh, you want your character to have a mustache, here's the code that I'd use and to compare and contrast. That's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Yeah. So that's just finished its Kickstarter. So people that are back who backed it can get in and start using a, a beta in December, I think it is. And uh, I think it's going to be some. Uh, one of the options available was £15, and that would get you a year's subscription to it. So it's, it's kind of a niche thing, but I think especially with somewhere like schools, I mean, it's in the name, School of Code, if you could encourage people to code by making it a communal project, because it is generally quite a solitary pursuit, learning mm, to code. Yeah, You have um, to kind of sit down and watch tutorials and dedicate yourself to it, whereas this makes it a bit more fun. 
It's got a little chat section as well by the looks of it. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing it. Make it a bit more social. So you can trash talk while you're <laughs> coding someone. Look how much better my my coding is than yours. Look how much bigger my character's moustache is than yours. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a Kickstarter of the day. And that brings us roundly to the end of the podcast, if there's no more business. So um, just to let everyone know, if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything we've talked about here today, we've got the email address, which is podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk. We've also got the Twitter account, which is at unravelingtech, the blog, unravelling.technology. And we've got our iTunes page where you're probably listening to this podcast from, although other options are available if you're an Android user. (laughs) Please leave us a review there if you can. Uh, but this was the Unraveling Technology podcast on the week that internet freedom died. Uh, I'm Joe Tonks, joined as ever by David and Nathan. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.